questions are on the, on the screen for now, and uh, we'll take those off in just a, just a few minutes. But we're going to be in Psalm 42 this morning, so I encourage you to, to look there to Psalm 42, and uh, we will read it in, in just a few moments. Uh, since March 15th, since March 15th, we have not gathered face-to-face And today is already May 3rd. So this is our eighth Sunday not meeting together as as the church. Um, The eighth Sunday, hard to believe that, right? I actually counted it again this morning just to kind of double check. But this is the eighth Sunday that we have not met. Um, I can tell you, that for the elders, this is these um, this decision has not been made easily, uh, but also I, we believe that it's necessary, which is why we're uh, meeting in this uh, frustrating means uh, this morning. But we are thankful that at least we have something. Um, in the meantime, we have been able to hear from. Uh, our other elders, which has been wonderful, uh, I've been very grateful for that, uh, and and how the, the the word of the Lord has been um, working in our midst and in the word and through them, uh, particularly last Sunday, hearing from our our brother Kenny and hearing from the book of Philippians, and we look forward to to more of that in these in these coming days. Um, but since we've been doing this online thing, I've been um, drawn to the Psalms and, and drawing our ourselves to the Psalms. I, I certainly did not uh, see, uh, you know, ourselves going to the Psalms, uh, particularly um, this this year. It wasn't even on the the radar, but yet here's this impromptu thing that's that's taking place. Uh, March fifteenth, we looked at Psalm one hundred seven, finding joy in the love of God. Uh, March 22nd was Psalm 90, finding joy in God's eternality. Uh, March 29th, Psalm 34, finding joy in God's works. Uh, April 5th, Psalm 1, finding joy in righteousness. And then uh, April 19th, two weeks ago, uh, Psalm 33, finding joy in the beauty of God. Uh, And those have been some wonderful psalms, and I believe that they have served us well in these uh, in these days and I'm, I'm thankful that we've been able to uh, go through those together um, this morning Psalm 42 just to give the 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 genre of the psalm is a psalm of lament a psalm of sorrow and 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 grief and and I, the psalms are actually filled with 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 several of these and uh, um, and, and, but this one in particular stood out uh, to me. And in fact, it was Monday morning, and one of the books that I'm, I'm reading through, uh, a book about uh, uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, one of the 20th century, uh, he's like one of the major 20th century preachers uh, in, in, in England um, at the time, um, kind of, uh, I think he was kind of known as being the, the next Spurgeon, like after Spurgeon came Martin Lloyd-Jones. Um, and, and so he's written several books, and, and there's been a series of books that Crossway has put out on particular individuals in the Christian life, and this one happens to be on Martin Lloyd-Jones and the, the Christian life. 
uh, and it's subtitled uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones on the Christian Life, Doctrine and Life as Fuel and Fire. Uh, and it's written by and put together by uh, Jason Meyer. This week, so I was in chapter 12, and and I was reading about what the good doctor, that's kind of was his, his nickname, what the, the good doctor taught on spiritual depression and, and what it looks like. In fact, he even has a book that he wrote called Spiritual Depression, and it came out of a, a expositions of Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. Now, while reading it this week, I, 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 I in particular did not feel as if I was in a spiritual depression, depression or, or, or cast down, but I certainly can feel the strain, as many of you can, um, the strain and the stretching of, of these past eight weeks of not being able to meet, not being able to take the Lord's Supper together not being able to fellowship, not being able to shake hands, um, not being able to hear each other sing. And I know a lot of y'all will say, well, you don't want to hear me sing. And I think that's not true because actually we do. We want to hear y'all sing no matter what it sounds like. Uh, actually, you have to hear me sing. So uh, it, it's not a question of of quality. It's a question of the the quantity of the church singing to together. And those are things that we we miss. And the, the strain of that. Uh, uh, gets harder and harder, and you can each with each week you can feel that stretching. And it's not just the meeting of the church. There's 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 also just been life, the difficulty of life, and the things that have been uh, uh, coming uh, our our way. And so for me, there's been areas of weakness, of sin, and temptation that have been exposed, and and fear and uncertainty, not just from uh, our own lives, and but the world and society. Uh, uh, around us, and and it truly adds up. It truly uh, um, can can build up in such a way where that that we become cast down and we become weary from uh, life. And I'm sure that you all know exactly what I'm uh, speaking of. So in our little impromptu micro series on the Psalms today, I want us to look at Psalm 42. Because I think we need it in finding joy when cast down. Or maybe a better title would be finding joy when I don't feel joyful. Let's look at Psalm 42 together and let's, let's read it together. Psalm 42 starting in verse 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for, live, for the living God. When, when shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as poor as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. With glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again, bring, shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and to Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls the deep at the roar of your waterfalls. I, all your breakers and your waves have gone 
over before me. By day the Lord commands me his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of enemy of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is the word of the Lord. And may it work in our hearts, our minds, and the soul to see the inerrancy of the Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture for us in this day. Amen. Psalm 42. Kind of a, a difficult psalm to read. N- not because of wording, not because of its language, but truthfully, it's hard to read because it's just so straightforward. It's so straightforward that you truly can almost feel the emotion of the psalmists. If you've ever been in a place like like this or, or like that that's in Psalm 42, there's, there's something awkwardly beautiful about reading a psalm like this. We, we read these psalms with, with a sort of a tearful smile because, because there's somewhat, something awkwardly comforting knowing that I'm not the only one and that this is real and that this is, this is true. And there's something, again, gloriously beautiful about this because we see how good the Lord is to put passages like this in the Bible. Because not every Sunday, not every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday are, are we in a Psalm 33 kind of place? Shout for joy for the Lord and the Lord, O oh, you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody with him and the harp into ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Not every one of us are like that every single day. That's great. We love Psalm 33. We taught Psalm 33. And we love those psalms. But sometimes because of life, because of sin, because of circumstances, of living in a fallen world, man, there are times we are just like verse 5 and verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? It's kind of morbidly beautiful, isn't it? (laughs) And it's psalms like this that can serve us so well in times of grief, in times of doubt, in times of pain, in times of loss. And not even just moments of those, but maybe even extended periods of those. So I want you to first understand this about this passage, about Psalm 42. And this may seem simple, but Psalm 42, this lament psalm, it is in God's word. It is God's word. God gave us this psalm. God gave you this psalm. God gave me this psalm. And why? Because in his mercy, his kindness, his compassion, and his love, 
He knows that his people, because it's written for his people, he knows his people live in a fallen world with a fallen flesh, with souls corrupted by sin. And therefore, any one of us are susceptible to being cast down. Psalms like this, they just, they live in complete contrast to the comfortable, nothing bad ever happens, ignore the difficult kind of Christianity that is so pervasive today. So many have that kind of Christianity, that nothing bad ever happens, or if it does, we just ignore it. They don't address the dark nights of the soul. Whether it be full-on prosperity gospel or, or maybe a soft versions of it that have invaded the churches today that deal with those dark nights, those dark nights of the soul. No, their, their gatherings never reflect the difficulty that many are walking through. And so the projection of the church, the projection of the leaders, and whether it's intended or not, most of the time it's, it's not. The projection is, if I feel this way, if I feel like a Psalm 42 kind of psalmist kind of way, if I feel this way, then there must be something wrong with me. That I may not be a Christian. Uh, uh, I, I must have done something wrong to, to deserve this. Because everyone else that I see, they don't look this way. They have a perception that's completely different than the way that I'm feeling. And that's not true. That's just not the case. Uh, Dr. Lloyd-Jones says, If anyone reading my words is in trouble, let me say this. The fact that you are unhappy or trouble is no indication that you are not a Christian. Indeed, I would go further and say that if you've never had any trouble in your Christian life, I should very much doubt whether you are a Christian at all. Strong statements but absolutely true. Maybe the Lord will use this time of uncertainty, fear, and hardship, not only in our lives, but the life of, of the church, universal, to, to purge some of that foolishness out and to teach the, where, the, where the weary, where the, the troubled can go to the word of God, to Psalm 42, when we feel cast down. Now, looking at Psalm 42, I'm not sure entirely the context of Psalm 42, meaning um, specifically why it was written and who writ- wrote it, probably, probably uh, 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 David. But the subtitle in, in your Bible says something like this. It says, to the choir mas- master, a mass school, which is a, which is a song or, or a, a certain kind of musical lyrics, right? This is referring to to music. It says, a mascal of the sons of Korah. Well, who were the sons of Korah? Well, the, the sons of Korah were Levites. Um, and the Levites was the tribe specifically chosen by God that they would serve in the tabernacle or the temple when, when it was built to serve in the tabernacle and to maintain the needs of the tabernacle and the temple, to move the tabernacle and the temple. And the sons of Korah were specifically tasked with uh, the areas of music, right? The, the playing of, uh, of, the, of the, the music. So here is a song, 
right? That was given to the choir master of the of the sons of of Korah to to sing, to lead the people in in singing. And in this psalm, we read also that the, the psalmist, for whatever reason, he's he's unable. Listen to this. He is unable to go to corporate worship. He's unable to to go to the church for some reason or another. For for some reason, who who knows why or or what? He's unable to to be with be with the Lord. Oh, computer problems here. Force one second. Okay, things are trying to open up. He's separated from the Lord. He's separated from the sanctuary. He's separated from God's people. And he feels like as if he's separated from the Lord himself. And in this psalm, it's it's like it's killing him. It's stretching him so far and so wide that it's it's killing him. I mean, this this psalm just gets pretty close to home, doesn't it, for us this morning? As a people now, for for us, the probably the the longest that most of us have have ever been uh, not gathered with the church. Um, if if you didn't grow up in church, then maybe that's the the case. It's, there there were other longer extended periods, but but for people like Pastor Bill, who said he was what was it born on a uh, on a Friday or something like that, and. And then went to church on Sunday and then, you know, he didn't miss a beat. So this is probably the longest extended period of time for all of us. It's, does it, I mean, we can catch the, the feeling of this, of this psalm. You know, and for the psalmist, there was no Zoom. There was no Facebook Live or YouTube or emails or, or text messages or FaceTime. He's totally separated from the Lord and from the Lord's people, or at least that's the way that he feels. There also was enemies that have come and surrounded him, enemies that have questioned him, enemies that have worn him down to questioning the Lord. So here is the psalm, again, that's given to the choir master for them to lead the congregation in singing. We are meant to sing songs like this. You know, some might think of that song that we, that we sang, what was it, the, the last one there, um, Come ye sinners, that it's just old, it's depressing, you know, it's it's kind of in that minor key, um, and, but yet that song is like, it's almost like this Psalm 42, isn't it? It has that same feel, but we're there, we're we're there. We feel that longing, we feel that that stretching, and we're meant to sing songs. When, uh, of spiritual difficulties and suffering in, in life. And the truth is, is that if we ignore it, we are missing the deep, deep well that God has given us to enrich us and to bring us to sovereign joy, to sovereign joy. And that's what Psalm 42 is pointing us to. So we sing songs about suffering. We sing songs like afflicted saint to Christ draw near. We sing songs like when trials come. We sing songs like come ye sinners. Because we know that life is full of it. And we know that Psalm 42 directs us to the hope of the gospel. And when, we're, when we embrace what the Lord has brought us through and brings us into, 
we know that in that deep well will spring up sovereign joy. So this morning, to help us answer the question, how then do we find joy when cast down? I want us to to look at two things. I want us to find the first, the diagnosis of the cast down, and then the prescription, and then the prescription of being cast down. Let's first look at the, the diagnosis. I think Psalm 42 gives us two areas, two places um, where we can diagnose the source or the area of, of our trouble, of our trouble. And I, and I truly want to preface it like this. Life is not as clean cut as I will try to make it seem like this morning, because it's not. It's not always as easy as to pinpoint the problem in the source and say, okay, there's the problem, let's fix it. This, this past week, our, our washing machine started acting goofy, and, and thankfully it was, it was still under warranty. We called the repairman, and he came out to try to fix it. And the reality is, is that our hearts, our lives, our souls are quite a bit messier than, than just fixing a washing machine. That we become cast down. Spiritual depression is not a, a simple or easy thing to deal with. But there are certainly marks or areas where the source of those things, where those issues are and where they lie. And that's what Psalm 42 does for us. It actually exposes and diagnoses us or diagnoses the source of those things. Look back at verse 1. Let me, let me read these again. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O Lord. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have become my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? Remember things. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with shouts, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. When you when you see how the psalmist feels that he is separated from God. Verse 2, when shall I come and appear before God? Verse 4, how should I come? How would I go to the throng and lead them in possession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise and multitude of keeping festival? Right, first you'll see that he's separated. He's separated there. And in that separation, where does he feel that angst? Where does that, that anxiety, that fear, that uncertainty, where does it lie and where is it fed? His soul. He says, my soul. He addresses his soul. And when he addresses his soul, and he talks about his soul, he's speaking of his very being. He's talking about the essence of himself, the essence of man. It's, it's pointing to the, um, uh, what makes us distinct, that separates humanity from the rest of creation, that, that part of us that exists, the imago dei, the, the soul, the where, we, where we feel right? And, and, and his soul, as he tells us here, is 
is thirsty. It's it's panting. It's desiring. It's wanting. It's uh, it's it's uh, uh, it's it's so thirsty. It's it's about to to die for the presence of God, God who is the source, right? The life-giving streams of fresh water of the living God, verses one and two, and so he pours out his soul, verse four, verse five. His soul is cast down; it is overcome with with grief and sorrow and pain and anguish because of that separation, because of the attacks of the enemy. In verse 11, again, is like a repeat of verse 5. He confronts his soul for being cast down and for, give, for giving in to the turmoil. And so this is the first diagnosis of where the problem lies, and that is in our souls. This points to something really important that is since the fall of man in all of creation that has been corrupt, including our flesh, but also our souls. Our souls are susceptible to this. Are susceptible to losing hope. Are susceptible to believing promises that are not promises, but lies that only masquerade as promises. Because we are weak. However, there are others who are more susceptible to these. For example, maybe introverts are, could be. People who are quiet, we usually know them as quiet as shy Generally, they tend to look inward, and there are some introverts who who look so far inward that they can cross the line from healthy self-examination, which is good, kind of helps us reevaluate things and holiness and test things to the Word of God, as Paul tells us to test ourselves to whether see whether we are saved or not. That's those are helpful, but but oftentimes many can shift over into a, a morbid introspection that is like putting the soul on a plate daily and dissecting it dissecting it to to hopelessness, that there is no hope. But each of us are different. We all have our issues in the soul. We all have our problems in the soul. Um, Lloyd-Jones put it like this. He says, you are always yourself, and though you become a Christian, you are still yourself. You have your own particular temperament, your own particular characteristics, and the result is we all have our special problems. There are certain problems that are fundamental and common to all of us, and even our particular problems comes to us in different ways, in several ways. We all have certain things about, uh, about which we have to be particularly and exceptionally careful. Other people are not troubled by these things at all. Ah, uh, yes. But they have other things about which they have to be careful. The hot-tempered person has to watch that temper very closely. And equally, the, the, the phlegmatic and the lethargic person has to be careful. Because he has so flabby in his whole mentality that he tends not to stand when he should stand. In other words, we all have our particular temperament, which God has given us. Our souls... And our spirit and spiritual depression, it's a complex mixed issue. And we are all, but we are all made differently. We all have different temperaments, 
But one thing is for sure, we all have been affected by the fall and that we are corrupted. Our souls are susceptible to this corruption, to this fall, to this weariness, to this stretching to the point where it's the fear, anxiety, and and stress, that's all stress-induced kind of stuff can take place. Now, I know this isn't a part of what we would call the soul, but what's also important to address here is also the physical health issues that do affect the soul. Health issues, pain, can make someone more susceptible to being cast down. The soul and the person cannot be separated. Chronic illness, fatigue, stress from life can all affect health, which strains the soul. We might be able to distinguish between our spiritual issues and our physical issues, but those things cannot be separated because we are one person. Again, uh, Lloyd-Jones says this. He says, The greatest and best Christians when they are physically weak are more prone to an attack of spiritual depression than any other time. And there are great illustrations of this in Scripture. Not only in Scripture, but also in history. One One of the heroes of the faith, Charles Spurgeon, throughout his life battled spiritual depression. He was 55 years old, or he was for 55 years old, excuse me, for 55 years, he dealt with chronic physical pain that contributed severely to that spiritual depression. Pain of gout, rheumatism, and kidney inflammation. For a third of his entire ministry, he could not physically stand in the pulpit and proclaim God's word. And for a half of his ministry, he was in absolute pain when he was. You see, our souls are greatly affected by life, by physical pain, by outside external circumstances, but also from things of our hearts. Why? Because we have been corrupted by sin because of the fall. So the first diagnosis is the soul. The second diagnosis, I've already kind of was starting to allude at it earlier, is that is our enemies. The second diagnosis is our enemies. Again, that's identified here. Look down in verse 9. It says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with deadly wounds in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Now, now the first enemy that we just, we just kind of unpacked is, is could be ourselves. Our own soul could be attacking us, could be our, our enemy. It, it does work against us as it begins to believe lies and believe false promises and believe anti-gospels as it begins to, it's, it's just becomes weary to things. But, but also I think that he is speaking of uh, other adversaries, other enemies, enemies of uh, uh, enemy of sin, the enemy of sin, the enemy of sin. And I'm not just talking about uh, sinful acts such as drunkenness or lusts or fits of rage, but the, the fallen nature of sin. 
Just the living in a sinful world, having this nature of sin again is an enemy to us that it does bring us to this point. It can bring us to this, to this point. We're not sinners because we sin, but rather we sin because we are sinners. And sin seeks to weaken us and to draw us away from looking to the Lord. We were created to enjoy God. That's what we were created for. We see that right there in in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. We were created to enjoy God, to delight in God, to glorify God in all things, to be in communion with Him, to be in intimate communion with Him, to, to walk with Him, for Him to be the center of our lives. And since Genesis chapter 3, anything less than that, because of Genesis chapter 3, the fall has shown us that anything less than that, communion with the Lord, the essence of that is sin. Sin is the essence of that. And it's done nothing to to separate us from God. Sin has separate us, separated us from God, from causing us to, be, to fulfill what God has created uniquely, innately, in our souls, in our image, to glorify him and that is a true enemy sin is our true enemy of man but but thankfully we have god who who's shown us in the word of god who has sent his son he has sent his son that we will no longer be slaves to that enemy that we are no longer susceptible to that enemy in the ways of of, 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 of complete death. But he has set us free in Christ. The second enemy that we have, or third enemy now, is that we have Satan who tempts us and attacks us. He is a powerful and smart foe who, brothers and sisters, he is always changing his tactics until he can be successful. He tempts the saints. He tempts us. He tempts the saints of Christ to put Jesus to the side and just put anything else in his place. Even if we just put Jesus from here to here and something else takes its place, that's a victory because it directs our eyes to something else. We're warned of this in, in, in the New Testament, 1 Peter 5a, most notably. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Insert here, joke about Tiger King, but I'm not going to do it. He, Satan, will tempt us to focus on our feelings to focus on our past, to focus on future difficulties, and in doing so, making us feel spiritual in doing so. That's a tactic. The focus on feelings, the focus on past sins, to live in those past sins, that guilt, maybe the shame of those, or even future things that have come. That haven't hit us yet, but in, in reality, God hasn't even given us the, the grace yet to, 
to be able to handle those things. And and in all the while, if we think that we're we're develop or we're dealing with these particular things, we we feel spiritual in doing it because we're thinking about spiritual things. He comes as an angel of light to lead us astray. Sometimes he comes to lead the church astray with with a with false doctrine to deny the trinity or to downplay the deity of Christ or to put aside the importance of substitutionary atonement but what often ap- happens is this is he says hey look over there look here make this your purpose make this your desire i think this will satisfy you more i think this will really take care of you in the meantime One way he tempts weak Christians is he tempts them to believe that they're really not Christians at all because they don't have, uh, because they they believe that they have a, 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 a lack of elevated emotions for the Lord or a, or if they, they haven't done a certain amount of good works or they doubt their salvation because seemingly they feel as if they lack hope during trials, anxiety, and fear. And this is what he brings our way. And this is what he brings way to, to all Christians. He, he tempts us with unbelief. And, and listen, this is his real tactic. This is his real tool. Because if it wasn't for the sin of unbelief that we are susceptible to believe, even Satan could do nothing. He could do nothing to us. He uses unbelief as the enemies of Psalm 42 to develop those questions that we saw all the way back in Genesis 3. Did God really say, where is God? Where is he? Why have you forgotten me? He uses unbelief to create questions so that we would believe him and it's all shrouded in, 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 in ways. And then it's questions that leads us to believe in ourselves, to trust our feelings, our emotions over truth instead of God's word and his promises. And I think that's exactly what we are seeing here in Psalm 42. He doesn't address Satan, but he says his enemies. Isn't it interesting how he recounts truth? but yet he still says, why have you forgotten me? This is the battle of unbelief. So there's the diagnosis. The diagnosis starts in our souls and it deals with external uh, enemies and sin. But what is the prescription? What are the prescriptions then to, to the problem? Well, the prescriptions are also laid out for us in this psalm. It's amazing. It's, it's amazing to hear. It's almost like, it's almost like the if if we could script sometime the torment of our own souls. It sounds something like this, when we're in the middle of that fight. You see the 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 um, you, you see the first thing that that it is, and that what he tells us, it, what we see here is that to preach to yourself. And to preach to yourself is is a constant discipline of the whole life for the Christian. Preaching to yourself or, or taking yourself 
by the hands and using God's word against yourself. Look to verse 5 again. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil with me, hoping God? For I shall praise him, my God, my salvation and my God. What is he doing? He's turning to himself and he's looking at himself and he's questioning himself. Why are you so down? Why are you listening to yourself? Why are you listening to these things? Why are you hopeless? What's wrong with you? Have you forgotten soul? Your hope is in God, your salvation. He is telling, he is defying the flesh. He is defying the soul, which is going after the corruption of the flesh and the corruption of the soul that has been brought in by the fall of man, which is now susceptible and hopelessness. And he is engaging it with truth. He's engaging it with the truth. Lloyd-Jones says here, he says, remind yourself of God who God is and what God is and what God has done and what God has pledged himself to do. When having done that, end on this great note. Defy yourself and defy other people and defy the devil and the whole world and say with this man, I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance, who is also the health of my countenance and my God. Defy yourself. Defy yourself. Defy the flesh. Defy the world. What the world is telling us. Defy them with the truth of God's word. This is not a passive work. Going to war over unbelief is not a passive work. We don't show up with flip-flops on. We don't show up with shorts on. We don't show up without our helmets on. We show up ready for battle with the sword of truth, with the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, and the shield of faith. This isn't a passive work. The problem has always been is when we've passively listened to the flesh. When we listen to the soul, when it is weary, we trust the soul. And that's where it gets us. Where does it get us? But he says, actively preach God to the whole self. Preach the gospel. Preach good doctrine to yourself. Preach and proclaim to yourself the excellencies of of God and the hope that we have in God. Listening to ourselves is always the source of our unhappiness. It's always the source of our unhappiness. There's, there's no one who has lied to you more than you. So be like the psalmist here. Stop listening to your soul and start preaching to yourself. Correct your soul. Put your soul in its place. And let it delight in God because it will. Bring truth to it. So number one, what's the first prescription? Preach to yourself. Take a hold of yourself. Second, we've already been touching with and talk about it. Remember good doctrine. Verse two, he says, my, third, my soul 
thirsts for God, the living God. Verse 5, verse 11, hope in God, for I shall again praise his name, my salvation and my God. He is God. He is the living God. Therefore, I will hope in him. Luther would say, nevertheless, I will hope in my God. And therefore, nevertheless, I will praise him of my salvation and my God. By day, the Lord commands, this is verse 8, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to God of my life. I say to God, my rock. Psalm 42 is telling us to remember good doctrine. Because it's in that truth where we will find that we have washed up on the shore of the rock of our salvation. And that's there where we can build our heart, our lives upon that rock. How do we remember good doctrine? What should we remember? Remember the sovereignty of God. We always get here, don't we? Don't we always get to the sovereignty of God? We always get here. Verse seven, deep calls to the deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. The psalmist is using two illustrations here of water, water sources, waterfalls and the depths of the ocean to describe one thing. He's describing, I, I, I believe he's describing to us how bad it feels to be constantly battered by the water of life. How it feels uh, as if he is drowning, as if he's gasping for air, as if he's, he's sucking in water and he's at his last moments of being able to tread water anymore, that it's just being poured on him, that he's as if he's, he's being waterboarded. And yet, what does he also say in that text in verse 7? He knows the source of the waves. He knows the storms. He knows who controls the storms and the breakers and the waves that have gone over him. It is God who is sovereign and that he is also loving. He is always loving in his purposes and in circumstances and trials and fears and temptations and suffering and pain and physical issues that come in our life and persecution, whatever it may be, that those things that come our way, he is always sovereign over those things. And we always can believe that he is good in those things and that he is loving us in those things. And good doctrine being built on the foundation that my God is my rock, even though he sends the waves over us, good doctrine shows us that even though we will suffer, we can still see his goodness and we still can glorify him. That's where we find the depths of sovereign joy. And the failure to understand that, that very basic fundamental truth that we can trust him, we can put our place, our faith in him. To fail to understand that can deepen the spiritual depression and extend it and worsen the, 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 the symptoms of it. We must understand and remember good doctrine and that God is lovingly, graciously, mercifully sovereign 
and that he will always lead us through. Even when it feels we cannot grasp one more breath, he is there to lead us. So first is to rem- uh, was to remember the, the sovereignty of God, and second is to remember the gospel. Verse 5, verse 11 directs us there, hope in God. Well, where is our hope? We have this sure and living hope in Christ. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. I love that. He directs us to two very important things, our salvation and our God. To remember the gospel that tells us what God has done in providing for us through Christ Jesus. Remember the staggering depth of sin. Knowing and understanding the misery of our sin. And this is where we have to start before we we can understand or truly feel Christian joy. If you read Romans, the the structure of Romans, the whole letter, the first three chapters uh, are, are on sin and the sinner and the hopelessness that we have in trying to save ourselves, particularly through the law or even through licentiousness. It's only then when we get to chapter 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8 that we see the gospel proclaimed and that the hope that we have is in Christ. So remember the staggering depth of sin, but also remember the glory of justification. Remember the glory of justification. When convinced of our sinfulness before a holy God, that we are completely undeserved of his grace. And then remember the glory of his justification. That God has provided a sacrifice so that we as sinners could be completely forgiven. Again, Romans 3. And that by faith we can look to him and to him alone for our salvation. And all of this Right, this is part of that foundation. And all of this was accomplished by Jesus Christ on the cross who bore our death and our punishment so that we sinners could be forgiven. Remember who we are in Christ. In Christ, he says you are a saint, made holy, made righteous by him. In Christ, we are adopted as sons no longer slaves. In Christ, we are, we are no longer slaves and we have been brought in union with Christ. Remember that you have been indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God who according to Romans 8, even in suffering, even in trials, even when God feels distance and it feels like our souls are believing lies and we want to give up and we want to believe or forget, uh, forget God, that we're believing that we're forgetting to God, that the Holy Spirit is indwelt in us to testify to us over and over and over according to Romans 8 that you are a child of God. Not because of your work, not because of anything that you have done, but because of what Christ has done. Not because of your sin, but therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is the truth. 
That is what we preach. That is the hope that we proclaim and proclaim to ourselves. That is the gospel. That is the prescription that we need when we are cast down. The circumstances, trials are all the means that sow the seeds of spiritual depression, which leads to unbelief. I get that. We all deal, deal with that, saying, I'm not good enough. We say to ourselves, I am too weak. I am too much of a sinner. We say to ourselves, I am not worthy. Man, have you ever heard those words? I have. I've heard myself say that to myself. And you know the reality of it? It's all true. It's all true. I am not good enough. I am weak. I am too much of a sinner. I am not worthy. But the problem is, is I'm still looking at me. I'm still looking at Ben. You're still looking at you. The problem is, is you're looking too much at yourself and you're not looking to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Hope in God. Look to Christ. Our sure hope. Our foundation. Why? Because he was good enough. And where we are weak, he is strong. He was perfect. And he perfectly fulfilled the law of God. And he is completely worthy. He was the perfect, worthy sacrifice that satisfied the wrath of God. And in that sacrifice, in God's sovereign grace, he has brought you and me, sinners, into such a glorious union with him. Now that's medicine. What can cure sin and death? That prescription. So look to Christ. Remember when Peter took his eyes off of Jesus when he jumped out of the boat? He took his eyes off of Jesus and his mind and his heart and his soul took over when they saw those waves and the sea and that he was out of the boat. And what did he believe? Himself. And what happened? He began to sink. Brothers and sisters this morning, if you are sinking... Or maybe you're on the verge of sinking hope in God. Look to Christ. He will raise you up just as he did that day with Peter. He may not deliver you from the circumstances immediately or the trials or the pain, but he will see you through. Preach the gospel to yourself. It's often the failure to realize the greatness of the gospel and the sovereignty of our God and his sovereign grace that being cast down sets in. And the truth of the matter is whenever justification by grace alone through faith alone is not the center or is not believed, then the truth is there can never be any joy. We can't find any joy. So Psalm 42 has laid out for us the prescription or the diagnosis and the prescription. And as we close this morning... Again, I want, to draw, I want to draw us back to the life of Charles Spurgeon, who not only suffered, as I said earlier, from physical pain, but he had many adversaries and enemies in his life. He suffered from long-term depression. 
He said this in 1858 at the age of 24 years old. He said, my spirits were sunken so low that I could not weep by the hour. I could weep by the hour like a child, and yet I knew not what I wept for. Causeless depression can be reasoned with, nor can David's harp cannot be reasoned with, excuse me, nor can David's harp charm it away by sweet discourse, as well fight with the in fight with the midst as with this shapeless, undefinable, yet all beclouding hopelessness. The iron bolt, which so mysteriously fastens the door of hope and holds our spirits in gloomy prison, needs a heavenly hand to push it back. So how then did Spurgeon, who battled spiritual depression, endure so well to the end and was able to preach so mightily? pretty much in the same ways that we saw this morning. He believed that it was God's design for his good and for the good of his ministry that he walked through those things. He believed in the sovereignty of God. If God is God, he says, not only God knows what is coming, but he knows it because he designed it. That led him to trust in the Lord for all things, including his ministry. It led him to constantly depend and to be nourished by to be nourishing his soul by communion with Christ through prayer and meditation on God's word. That he knew that the Lord was using it to constantly cause a thirst for him to truly pant as a deer that longs for streams of water. So that he would commune commune with the Lord and that his soul would be satisfied alone in the living waters of the word of God, Jesus Christ. Like Paul, who had the thorn in the flesh given to him by God in order that he would not be conceited. He also knew that daily pain and attacks and depression taught him to no longer look to the flesh or to hope in this world, but to fix his eyes upon eternity. What a gift that is. To hope in eternity and to keep our eyes affixed to eternity and not on the flesh, and not on the things of this world. And lastly, as we talked about earlier in the gospel, Spurgeon understood who he was positionally in Christ. And he would not be deterred by others, by pain, or by his circumstances. Was it easy? Read his writings. It wasn't. But the Lord is faithful. And he fixed his hope on Christ. So how do we find joy when cast down? We preach to ourselves the gospel and we remember good doctrine. Remember good doctrine. So brothers and sisters, if any of you are battling fear, uncertainty, unbelief, or even if you're not, then I pray that you have been edified this morning by the word of God. I pray now that you have more tools in the toolbox to use today, to use tonight, to use this week, to use next week. That you, brothers and sisters, would say, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the encouragement of your word. We pray, O oh God, that you would 
use it to dig deep roots of truth in our hearts and in our souls this morning. Teach us many things of the gospel, Lord, that we may proclaim it to ourselves and we may proclaim it to other and others and encourage one another in this time. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the honesty of your word, how refreshing it is, what a delight it is. And use our time now, Lord, as we encourage one another. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen.